I can have the most expensive and best security tool in the world, but at the end of the day, if you can call my help desk and socially fish my help desk to give you their credentials, there's no tooling that's going to fix that. Technology is still going to be there, but the weakest, the weakest link in the chain is going to be the human element. So every day it's my own, my own employees that keep me awake at night. Welcome to audience first a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? So Chris, why don't you tell me who you are? What do you do and why the hell do you do it? Um, well, I'm Chris Elliott. I'm currently director of security operations at SoFi, a fintech company, uh, well known, uh, mostly because we're a sponsor of a stadium that just hosted the last Super Bowl. But uh, most people ask me if I work at the stadium, which I kind of wish I did because I'm a sports fan. But uh, no, I work for the company themselves, Director of Cybersecurity. Um, before that, I did about eight years at the Walt Disney Company in numerous security and um, compliance roles. And before that, I spent 23 years in the U.S. Army um, as a communications specialist in a variety of uh, assignments um, from special operations to NATO to the NSA, a ton of different places. Um, Got into security while I was in the army. Um, I started off to date myself as a teletype repairman, um, which was, you know, way pre computer, if you would, um, and finished my career as the, uh, network engineer chief of the network of Pacific, uh, encompassing the entire, uh, military network between California and Korea. Um, obviously working in that area, uh, cybersecurity is a, of, you know, is a highlight. I mean, we're, we're working in, you know, your daily threat actors, you know, whether it's North Korea, China, or just opportunity threats, uh, when you're trying to protect the type of area, uh, if you're even touching the network, you're definitely a security professional. And if you're managing it, you know, I mean, every day, um, so that's where I got from here to there. Um, you know, my, my security background is, is, you know, extensive. I'm a jack of all trades. I, you know, I could talk to you about satellites. I could talk to you about radio. I could talk to you about count five. Um, I've had to do it all. Um, and you know, managing every day is a new thing, but I've, I feel I'm pretty comfortable. I've seen a lot of things in my time. So as the director of security operations at, at SoFi, what mm -hmm. is your one bleeding neck challenge right now? My people, um, you know, I can have the most expensive and best security tool in the world, but at the end of the day, if you can call my help desk and socially fish my help desk to give you their credentials. There's no tooling that's going to fix that. Um, so it's constantly speaking to our folks, educating them, coaching them through situations, um, advising them and, and basically watching out for our people. So, um, you know, technology is still going to be there, but the weakest, the weakest link in the chain is going to be the human element. So every day it's my own, my own employees that keep me awake at night. What's your ultimate goal at the end of the, of the day? What are you trying to achieve? Well, uh, that's great. The, I, I tell people that are looking for getting into cybersecurity about, you know, uh, do you feel a, a sense of uh, a accomplishment or sense of completion? Um, for me, every day I'm trying to make our networks more secure, uh, safer. I'm trying to be a little more proactive. Um, you know, every day I'm trying to find that find that threat a, a minute, a second faster than we would have yesterday. 
Um, so it's building new DTECs. It's, it's, it's finding out how to be more proactive in our security th- uh, posture, um, how to you know, look at Intel and anticipate what's coming in. Um, and, and definitely how can we better our own tools to reduce uh, alert fatigue? Um, you know, we have a, a list that, you know, our sock is, is small, but a large amount of alerts. So every time I build something new or ask my team, but we have to think about the impact to our team. So how do we reduce alert fatigue, uh, reduce noise and get to the, the, the crux of the problem. Mm-hmm. So let me, okay, there we go. Doors yeah. closed. <laughs> I was hearing some background noise and I didn't All know right. what, um, so I want to dig in a little bit on alert fatigue because that's mm-hmm. something that I know as an intelligence vendor, I know that is a definite mm-hmm. problem. Take me back to the day where you finally said, I need to solve this challenge of alert fatigue and reach your ultimate goal. Um, you know, one day I logged into um, our alert console and I saw, you know, roughly about 300 alerts sitting there uh, un- unreviewed. And as a manager, you know, I'm, you know, oh, this is horrible. You know, why is my not, my team not getting to it? Then I took the time to look at what they had reviewed that day. And this is about mid lunch time period. They had gone through 600. And I realized that this was just a tidal wave they were never going to overcome. It was like, uh, what, what I like to use analogy, digging a hole on the beach, right? Every time you scoop out sand, two more, you know, more sand comes in. They're never going to get to the bottom of it. And so then I started clicking down in the alerts. Um, and realizing there were a ton of false positives, a ton of um, BAU, business as usual type of alerts. Um, and then I had to think about like, how do they sort through all of this to find that one nugget of information? And then immediately post uh, discovering that I went back and looked through our post mortem logs. And it turns out we had a large amount of incidents that we had detected. You know, our alerts had detected far earlier than, than we detected. Because all these alerts were being lost in the noise. We weren't getting to the crux of it. And so then I really concentrated not so much on building more alerting, but building better alerting. You know, what is the alert? So I came up with a what I said I was comfortable with, which is about 80% ratio. You know, I'm, I'll accept 20% noise because um, you're never going to get 100%. If you get something that's creating no noise, you probably didn't create the right alert. So, I, you know, 80-20 ratio is what I really came to for alert fatigue. And when I started talking to the team about alert fatigue, they realized, you know, they they said, yeah, this is a problem. We just never thought we, you know, they had a feeling that all alerts are good alerts. And that's not true. You have the 80-20 split. What do you do next about to solve that problem? Well, what you want to do next is really look at your cyclic alerts or things that look alike. That If you can see it three times in a row, you should automate it. So if you have an alert that's firing and it's, re- and it, even if it's a known good alert, but it's firing, you know, and it's firing the same way three times in a row. For instance, for uh, my organization, we suffer through credential stuffing and, and um, you know, all the time. Um, so then we, how do we automate that, pick up that alert? And if you, if you have the same alert firing three or more times, you probably have the same response three more times. So now you should automate that response, you know, and get down to it where you're, you're, you're applying human effort on problems that only humans can solve. That's really what you want to do is anything that's cyclic, repeatable, you know, automate it, you know, get it out of your way, or at least get it to the end list with the most amount of information possible to make the decision. Cause I would watch my, I would watch my sock operators and, you know, they'd get alert and they would open four or five different screens up and pull in Intel and information from six different sites to make the decision, whether or not this was a bad, good or bad, uh, effort. 
And that was amazing. But I said, what if I could just present all six of those screens to you at once so that when it came to the decision matrix, you had it in front of you. And I used that as a three in the morning check. If I woke you up in dead sleep at three in the morning, presented with the screen, could you make the decision you needed to make? And it really sped up our decision-making process, our intel process. It, it sped up a lot of things. And we started to see less false positives and quicker response times. How do you go about researching those products to help your team out? And what even more, how do you go about, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff among, among vendors and solutions? Well, I guess I should just say I use the quadrant and the quadrant only, and it tells me everything I need to know about the world. But obviously, I don't know. I don't know who that quadrant's aimed towards, um, but no. Um, you know, when I look at the security tooling coming out, um, you know, no vendor is going to tell me their tool sucks. Every vendor is going to tell me their tool's the best in the breed. Every vendor is going to tell me their tool's adaptable. But what I really start to look at is I start to look at how does it apply to my business? Does it have integrations? I've worked with some great uh, DevSecOps people that could integrate anything. But there was so much customizable work that when I bring a tool into my in-house, I have to have it integrate natively with all my tools. So those APIs have to be built. Those things have to be built. Uh, so can, you, can I bring your tool into my environment? And then is your tool adaptable to my environment? You know, um, it, it needs to be almost object-oriented. You know, I, I need to choose any ticketing system. I need to choose any EDR platform. I need to choose um, any threat intel feed. I need to plug in. So I need to be adaptable. So I'm looking at I'm looking at adaptability. Um, and then to be dead honest at this point, I'm also looking at how long have you been in the market? Um, you might be the greatest thing since sliced bread, but if you've only been in the market for a month or two, are you sustainable? Do you have an actual support plan? Do you, are you able to assist me? Do you have a ticketing issue? Um, early in my military career, I, I, I encountered, uh, inflatable beach ball satellite antennas and they were amazing because everything weighs something. So our satellite uh, dishes weighed 600 pounds. This, this beach ball weighed 50. It was amazing. It was a it was, it was game changer. The only problem is the guy was making them in his garage. So we couldn't buy it because we just didn't know if he'd be there the next day. Thankfully, I can tell you those, those beach wall antennas are now standard operating, you know, released in the army um, and special operations years later. But at the point, it was the greatest thing I could ever think of, but we weren't sure if they were supportable and viable. So I'm really looking at viability. And then um, probably what, I'm not going to say the most, but really is the street cred. I'm going to talk to my peers. I'm going to say, have you heard of Tool X? Have you used Tool X? What do you think about Tool X? Um, and, you know, so I'll ask people, you know, I don't need them to give me the, the, you know, where where do you think your tools use? Can I speak to a customer or do I know somebody? I had one tool vendor that that dropped, name dropped somebody. And I said, oh, I know the director of infrastructure there. Hold on. And I called him and it, it, what his experience was, was not what the vendor was telling me. Um, so that was reality, you know, um, and in a day, honesty, um, I, I want you to tell me where your tool doesn't perform best. Um, I guarantee you, if your tool is 10 out of 10 in every category I need, I can't afford it. Um, so what I want to know is where, where are the weak points you tool? And I'll ask, honestly, like, where does this tool not perform well? And if someone says that there is no place they can think of, I don't believe them. You know, yeah. everything has its flaw. Everything has its weak spot. It's okay. Um, I just want to know, do we, have we addressed it? Mm -hmm. Are there any differences or anomalies right now in the market that vendors can take advantage of to stand out? Um, so 
once again, um, I think integrations, um, you, you know, one of the things we need, we have all these alerts coming in, all these indicators coming in. How do they feed one platform? Big Panda's kind of almost there, which is that event correlation. You have six or seven nondescript things happen in your environment. How do you correlate them to actually equal one event? Um, you know, and so I, I think if you look at that, um, that's what we're really missing right now is we have everything firing alerts, but we have nothing actually putting those alerts together to tell us a story. Mm -hmm. um, and it and it becomes uh, almost alert fatigue, and it also becomes very um, distracting. It, it, event correlation is big right now in, in our world. I think that's where we're lacking a lot of space. Mm -hmm. Where do you spend most of your time, you know, currently right now, not just when you're kind of like researching a product, but in general as a practitioner? Most is digital now. We're not fully face-to-face -face yet. Oh, I mean, you know, everyone spends their entire day in Reddit, right? I mean, there's so much you can get in Reddit. No, um, you know, I'm looking through Twitter. Um, I'm reading articles and blogs. You know, I'm, I have a pretty good thread intel feed I built personally for me to look through. And I'm looking through products that are being used. I'm looking through vendors that are producing um, intel for me. Um, I'm looking at, you know, what where, where the market's going. And to be honest, sometimes I'm looking at, um, where, where people in those companies are moving from. So I'll say, oh, someone just moved to Chronicle. Okay. Well, that sim must be up and coming. Cause that's someone I'm, you know, I, I vouch for, um, uh, Chris Roberts, I think just moved to a, a company. I don't know which yep. company it might be. Boom, boom supersonic. Yep. Carries, As... carries a little weight, right? John Strand in Bl uh, Black Hills. Um, same thing, Black Hills. You know, if, you know, when you're looking at who those the people are working with and there's a little more street cred involved. Mm -hmm. Who who is influencing you influencing you right now uh, in the market? You know, you mentioned Chris and um. Well, I'll read uh, Chris. I read a lot from John Strand. Is is another one? Jeremiah Grossman uh, is mm -hmm. another one. I, I I take a lot of, a lot of editing in. Um, Jen Easterling just went to CISA. I I read a lot of of her her stuff. Very good stuff. Um, you know, I try to get a lot of the influence. Uh, you know, read read around. I want to know a lot more. I will tell you that I take. Uh, Chris Roberts' opinion very, uh, very honestly, because he is brutally honest, like I, I feel like, and he'll call a spade a spade and he'll say what it is, whether it's good or bad, whether it's his own performance or something else. And that's what I want. I, I don't need a hundred percent, all the good things. I want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I, I do want to have a little bit of fun now. And so this is mm -hmm. where, this is where I'm curating a wonderful long list called the the shit list mm -hmm. and i want to know what is the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor Whew. oh worst thing um i had a bar that worked for me directly he they provided me uh people and software and hardware uh they proposed a new uh best in breed um tool i said i couldn't define the business case i needed the tool I couldn't define the problem I needed to, and I really was so short staffed, I couldn't maintain or bring another tool on. So I told him it wasn't the right time. I appreciate it, but thanks. Uh, they proceeded to go to my boss and convince him he needed this tool to the point where um, he called me and asking me for numbers. How many, how many endpoints do we have? How many servers do we have? How many VPCs are we in? And I realized when through his asking, what he was doing was he's asking me so he could buy this tool. And I said, you know, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you know, so-and-so says, 
we need this tool. It's a great tool. And I'm looking into getting it. I'm like, no, I don't want the tool. I can't use a tool. It will be no need. And I, and you know, and I said, I told them no. And so I immediately called the vendor up and I said, what are you doing? Well, we thought that, you know, uh, maybe you were just too in the weeds and you didn't, you couldn't see the bigger picture. So we decided to ask your director what he thought. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I called the director back and I just said, no, I don't want this tool and I refuse to take it. And, uh, you know, if you're going to take the MSSP's view over money, he's like, absolutely not. Um, it probably killed my relationship with that, that vendor. Cause I haven't done business with a vendor since and nor have I received the real fun cold call from them, um, that we all love. So I'm pretty sure I'm on that vendor shit list, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's fine with me. Uh, I'd never have to deal with that vendor and I'd never have to deal with vendors going beyond my back. In your opinion, what would be the alternative approach? Um, you know, so the relationship of vendors is, is vital. And I think this is where the vendors miss it. Um, I can't go brief the board that the reason I bought the product is because I had a great lunch, whiskey, and cigars. And, you know, I know that the, the vendors love to do that. And, and I mean, we, as in, we love it, but that's not the reason I would buy your tool. It's a relationship. You're supplying a tool that fixes a problem for me. Um, I'm buying your tool, which is a salesperson is helping you meet your quota. And this relationship will only work if the tool works for me and I continue to need the tool. So you need to take a look at my business and see what does your business need? How can I help you? How can I apply this tool to your business? And, you know, how can we support this tool? I, some of my worst relationship with vendors have been, they sold me a tool and don't call me back until the end of each quarter when they want to sell me more of their tool. Not asking me, how are you doing? What's going on with our tool? But could you, do you want more? Um, I have a big, a big vendor now that, um, has sold me a ton of stuff. And every time I say, Hey, I don't think your tools working the way he thinks it is. They're like, well, you should buy this module. And I'm like, well, but I, what I own is not working. Why would I continue to buy something that, you know, from you? Um, and it's, you know, it, it's those hard conversations that you have yeah. to have. Let's flip it on its head. What's yeah. one thing a vendor has done that made you feel good? What worked for you? So I've had vendors, um, you know, come in, roll up their sleeves and, and work with me in the middle of an outage, sit down and say, we're going to be here till it's done. And the, we is important. We're here till it's done. So I, I have a great relationship with a patching tool called big fix. It's an, a patching automation tool. It's amazing. It's probably one of the best relationships I have where they've sat, rolled up their sleeves. I literally had an issue of coding. They got me a hold of the CTO. He was at the airport and he literally fixed our code while waiting for a plane. This is a CTO of a company who called us and fixed it, you know, said, all right, put this in, put this in. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's, that's dedication. I wouldn't expect that. I would never expect that for any company, but that showed me they cared about me. I mean, this is super insightful. I, I want to know though, just in general, mm -hmm. what do you hate most about the cybersecurity industry? Well, I, I mean, the vendor relationships are, are toxic. The cold calls, um, the random emails that, Hey, I know you didn't read my email. So I'm gonna send you another one. Hey, if it's seven emails down, I get the hint because what I've also learned, like, you know, if I reply to an email, say I'm not interested, you just continue to persist and, and vendor that's not going to work. Ooh, Ooh, I, oh, this is the worst I had. I had a vendor stand up a, a typo squatting site of my company's website. And then. Two days later, email me and say, look what we detected. How come you didn't detect this site? It's totally a typo squatting social phishing site. 
I had my Intel team look at it because we had gotten word of it the day before, and it was literally stood up by that vendor who then, when I didn't respond because I was so angry, proceeded to email everyone in my above me about how they had found the site and how they can help us fix our, our, uh, social phishing. That was horrible. That was just the worst way to ever engage me. Yo, engage me with, look what I found on the web about your company. Like you're doing something philanthropic, philanthropic. Great. But then making me call you to tell me what you found. I, I yeah. know the deal. I know what you're doing. Yeah. That's pretty bad. I don't know. I think that one is the winner. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the worst ways to engage me. You know, if I could have found the person, I'd probably put hands on it uh, just because yeah. the amount of work it caused. But yeah. Damn. All right. So you know, we, we just breezed through this. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. What's kind of one thing you want to impart on the audience today? You know, what, like I tell every vendor, I, I'm open when I get into a relationship with vendors. And I call it a relationship because that's what it is. I'm going to buy your product. That means I'm putting my professional reputation at risk by bringing your product in my environment. But in, in told, you're, you're vested to my use of your tool. So if you sell me a tool and I don't leverage it right, you think I'm going to blame my, my lack of skills? I'm going to tell my boss, your tool is horrible. It may not be. It could be the greatest tool in the world. It's just, I'm not going to take that on my back. But vice versa, if you're not ensuring I'm using your tool, you can, I can guarantee you I will not buy your tool again. So it's a relationship. It, it is, you know, it is, it is inherent to the person for me to be, have a successful engagement pre and, and I stress this, and post-sale. Uh, I've had some great pre-sales experiences that have turned into ghosting. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, you know, I mean, you know, I'm still here. What are you going to do? Um, you know, so I think for me, you know, it's a relationship and it's ongoing. Um, it is not transactional. It's not call me at the end of each quarter and tell me a new mark, new, new, um, incentive you have. Call me monthly, call me weekly with, the, with the company, big fix. Uh, we used to have monthly visits by the sales rep and there was a sales rep team, which was with a post sales engineer. So I kind of flipped it said, I would like to see the sales engineer once a month. Uh, uh, and then I'll like, I could see the sales rep once a quarter. And then, you know, th- that's the type of relationship. Have me embrace your tool. Have me think I can't live without it. Learn my business, learn the intricacies of what I do, how I do it. You know, where, you know, uh, I, I got on the phone with, uh, um, admin, uh, that we were given. It was uh, admin time from a, a SIM provider. Mm-hmm. And they were dedicated to us. So we, we had a problem. We got on the phone with them. And their first question is, well, are you on cloud or prem? Well, if you're my admin who's dedicated to me, wouldn't you know that? Like that tells me, you know, nothing about my business. At that point, I kind of, tu- I just tuned it out and said, this, I don't trust this person with my environment. So learn who I am, learn what my team does, learn the business and figure out how tools can approach problems in my business. And it's a great relationship. There's no doubt, you know, and, and there's no doubt that there's loyalty both to the, to the product. And to be honest, let's be honest, you know, if I have a great relationship with a, a sales rep or a TAM and they go to another product, I'm going to reach out to them later and say, well, what are you selling? What's there? It's a small, it's a small marketplace of people. We all pretty much know each other and circle around each other as we move from company to company, you know, so I think it, it behooves that the, the, the individual salespeople, the companies themselves to support us, you know, because I do get those calls. What do you think of this product? Have you used it? You know, and I'm, I'm brutally honest, you know, I'll tell them the good and the bad. Um, I think, I think the vendors have to treat it like a relationship. 
the groups are aging, right? So, you know, going out for cigar and golf, which I don't know how to golf and I don't drink, I, I don't have a taste for whiskey. Um, I think the marketers need to change their game. I mean, it's getting the okay. group, the group of people are buying are getting younger. They're not doing it. Not that I'm young, but I just don't know how to golf and I, and I only like beer. So, yeah, um, that's so what would, what would float your boat? What do you want to do? I don't mind lunch. I don't mind dinner. If you take me to five star steakhouse, I feel like I'm being more wine and dine than be, like having a talk, you know? Yeah. Like you don't take your first date out to a five star restaurant, right? You first you want to find out if that date's worth even seeing for the second date. Um, you know, that, th- that's just honesty for me, but I'm not, like I said, I'm not the typical client, you know, I'm easy going, um, you know, so those are the things and I don't, and you know, and so I, and my whole thing is, yeah, let's, let's talk about the product, but I'm not going to have lunch with you for an hour to talk about a hundred percent cybersecurity. That's, I do that. I cyber too much already, you know? So for me, um, so some of the best engagement I have with vendors are, are having a burger or a taco somewhere, um, mm. having a beer somewhere and just saying, Hey, what's going on? What's going on in your space? You know, and then proceeding to talk about whatever else comes up. Where can people find you these days? You know what? Uh, I, I, I'll put it this way. Be, do, do my own personal safety. I use my only social media is LinkedIn because I don't feel there I should go. have the ability to comment on other people because I, I have a pretty sardonic wit. So I try to keep my my professionalism. Uh, LinkedIn is where you can reach me. Um, I, all the people that want my uh, SoFi email address have it. The people who I don't want to have it have it. I'm sure they all can find it through their sales track. Um, you know, but the biggest thing is be prepared to go on an engagement with me, you know, because that's the thing it's with. I'm, I'm big on that. We're, we're going to do this, this thing together. Um, that's what mm-hmm. I always tell any vendor comes on board. We're going to do it together. Yeah. I love that. That's something that hasn't been fully, fully discussed on this podcast so far. What really resonates with me is it's not just about the pre-sale. It's the post-sale. It's the whole journey. It's taking me, you know, being there with me, you know, hand in hand throughout the whole process. So that really resonates with me for sure. Yeah, it it is. It has to be because that's how we 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 continue the engagement, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a point. No matter what you sell sell me, I might reach uh, I, I might reach capacity. I, I'm saturated. I may can I may not be able to buy any more licenses. Or so now, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go from here? Is it another product? Is it a further engagement? But I think that's big because it turns into a bigger investment in time, and and it really helps that because. It, it is. It, it's it's cyclic. We're going to come around, and I think I've worked with vendors through and through their tools, you know. And then I've left, gone to other tools, and said, you know, I really like that experience better. I just came off of a POC where I had to tell one product, like your product is great, but the support's horrible. It's not the price. It's not the product. It's that post sale support I don't trust, and I'm not going to buy it, even though you might be industry leading. My experience with your support is horrible. Um, you know, so that's what they lost on. Um, I had another product where we lost it on um, price. And what I mean by price is we did an apples, apples comparison of product. And we said we wanted 20,000 20, units of each. One product came in $70,000 lower than the other. Um, it it was shocking because I thought, I honestly thought the prices would be the other way around with these two competitors. But then I had one of the people from that that the losing bid contact me. And say, was it just price? Well, I'm like, well, yeah, that's what it came out of. Well, we can give you a better price. Yes, but why didn't you give it to me in the first place? Why do I have to come back and negotiate? None of us like to buy cars. I don't want to sit and go through five or six rounds of negotiation. 
I would love the first bid to be within 80% of the price mark where we're going to be. But if you're going to try and short me in the beginning, then I'm just going to walk away. I don't have time to negotiate price. Um, you know, and, and, and so I'm pretty, I'm pretty upfront, you know, this is how much I have to spend. What do we get for? Um, mm -hmm. but if you, if you're going to try and short me or stiff me on the price, then I'm just not going to buy your product. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that's people understand no matter how good your product is, um, people are not just going to buy it, uh, without really looking at the cost. Cause there's so many competitors. I actually, I have a question you can include in the podcast if you want. Yeah. Has a cold call ever worked? I will say yes. Okay. Have they turned into business? Is the next question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I just they still continue and I never quite understand why. Um, because I I can't ever think of a time in a person's day where they just pick the phone up like you've called me at the exact moment I'm looking for an EDR tool. Let's go. Yeah. You know? No, that the chances yeah. of that are, are low, at least in my experience. And I think yeah. if anything, it stems back to I think the the chances of potentially turning that call into a transaction is if you build an authentic relationship with that person yeah. and, and don't expect immediate results from that relationship. Yeah. It's long-term. I, so, I agree. I think, I think that's, that's the whole part, right? Learning that person before you even pitch them a sale is exactly. like, you know, um, you know, but don't get me wrong on the other end, I, uh, the very first sale I made from a hardware provider, uh, years ago, um, I needed something. I reached out, I called him, I bought it. He's, he's moved on to three different companies, but he still calls me because he says, I was the first customer he's ever had. So he, you know, he, so he doesn't call me to sell me anything. He just calls to say, Hey, what's going on? How you doing? You know? And I realized that it, it made a mark in his life that I, I bought from him. But I think in the end of the day, I think that's the term of relationship, right? You know, cause he's calling me I'm like, Hey, I'm not in the infrastructure business anymore. That's all right. I just want to see how you're doing. All right. Then that, that's not a transactional relationship. I, I can deal with that. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Chris, this has been absolutely wonderful and insightful. I appreciate you coming on and you're always invited back to the show. All right. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.